So I am not a fan of horror movies at all. Like, I just can't do it. In fact, I think um, when Don and I first got married, she likes to live on the edge and watches. She used to watch it, let's say, and she liked roller coasters, and I didn't, and I was like, play it safe. But I could not, couldn't really get into horror movies. But she talked me into watching one one time uh, called The Ring. Anybody in the movie in the uh, room seen that movie? Yeah. So like, I watched it, and I was like deeply scared for my life at the end of it. <laughs> and my wife, Don, was pregnant with our first kid at the time. It was like 17 years ago. And I remember at the end of the movie, I was like, you know, like, I'm not getting up from this bed at all. And so she got up. She had to go turn off all the lights in the house. And I was, like, convinced that there was, you know, something going to happen. And I just do not like them at all. Anybody else not a fan of horror movies? Just like, nope, not going to do it. Okay, thank you. So I just cannot do it. I don't like, I don't like horror movies. I don't like, uh, I, I think as a pastor, I've always tried to think about not being Pastor Debbie Downer. And I don't normally like to just focus on all the negativity and all that type of stuff. And, and so this morning, I want to I wanna start out with some bad and then get to some good, though. So just hang out with me for just a few minutes here as we kind of do some, do some thinking about history, because I think that there's some really fascinating things about history that we can learn uh, from. And, and I've been reading a lot of history as of late, and I think that there's some some interesting things that we can learn from history that will help us live our lives now. And so I want to talk about plagues for a moment. Um, plagues. You know, the Bible talks about plagues. There's plagues in the Old Testament, and then there's plagues in the New Testament, and it talks about how there's going to be more of those. And so I think it's interesting. So there's been a lot of different plagues throughout history, and, and I just want to talk about a couple really quickly. Uh, the Plague of Galen. Uh, this was in 165 A.D., uh, the Roman Empire experienced a devastating and terrible epidemic uh, under the Roman Emperor Marcus Aurelius. And there were 2,000 people dying a day in the city of Rome. One-fourth of those who were affected at that time died. The total death count has been estimated at 5 million people at that time. And many medical historians now, when they look back at, at what is, they believe it was one of the first uh, outbreaks of smallpox, okay? Another plague, plague of Cyprian. It swept through the Roman Empire. This is around 251 AD. And it, it swept through and it hit both the rural communities and urban communities. And at that time, there were up to 5,000 people dying a day in the city of Rome. And it produced a massive mortality rate, uh, rate. And then many historians now, when they look back, they think it's actually the first outbreak of measles or one of the first outbreaks. And there's been a ton of different other global pandemics, plagues, or outbreaks that have swept through the known world. Uh, there was the plague of Justinian in the 6th century. Uh, they think it was bubonic plague, 10% death rate. Uh, the Black Plague, if you've ever studied anything about European history, you know that there were literally millions of people who died. They estimate anywhere between 75 to 200 million people, which is a pretty big gap. Would you agree? 75 to 200 million people died in that plague. And then there was a, a plague in uh, Mexico and Central America where 15 million people died. And then the American plagues, uh, America being the Americas, where 90% uh, of indigenous people were killed in the 16th cent century. And then we also have the Spanish plague, the Spanish flu that happened earlier in this uh, last century where 500 million people died. And the list goes on. Like, I'm just highlighting a few. And if you study any history, you'll know that there are, there's been, been lots of plagues, lots of global pandemics, and millions and millions of people have died. And, 
And now, I don't know if you know anybody that's died currently from this, this current uh, pandemic we're in. I have some friends that have passed away, and, and you know, I think everybody probably knows somebody who's been sick. And, and so I've been thinking a lot about that because obviously now it's been so uh, politicized by everybody that it's really hard to talk about it. Uh, but back in February, we took a few minutes, I think, uh, to pray for China because back in February it was starting to come out and we were spending some time praying for the Chinese people because we were learning more and more about COVID-19. And a month later, we were uh, praying and then very shortly after that, we went into a lockdown of sorts. And ever since then, people have been, I think, collectively losing their minds and we've all been trying to like navigate this really weird, weird world that we live in. But I remember back in, in March uh, at that time, uh, rereading a textbook that I'd had in seminary. And there's this book called The Rise of Christianity by Rodney Stark. And Rodney Stark is a church historian, a histor historian of early Christianity. And he has a really fascinating chapter in this book um, about this topic. It's, it's called, uh, the chapter's called Epidemics, Networks, and Conversions. And I want you just to listen to what Rodney Stark says about how the church responded to global pandemics in the first few centuries, okay? So listen to what he says. This is based off of his reading of all of the church fathers at that time and just the general consensus of Roman Greco history. He says these words, though. He, he has some really fascinating things. He says, Had classic society not been disrupted and demoralized by these catastrophes, Christianity might never have become so dominant a faith. Christianity offered a much more satisfactory account of why these terrible times had fallen upon humanity, and it projected a hopeful, even enthusiastic portrait of the future. Christian values of love and charity had, from the beginning, been translated into norms of social service and community solidarity amongst Christians. When disasters struck, the Christians were better able to cope, and this resulted in substantially higher rates of survival. Moreover, their noticeably better survival rate would have seemed a miracle to Christians and pagans alike, and this ought to have influenced conversion. Did you all see that? Like, wow. Through two global plagues, this is him writing after two of those plagues, um, the church grew because it had a better understanding of the world that we live in, according to his research. It offered a better answer to the questions being asked, and it lived out its values of love and charity. So Stark says that Christians projected a hopeful, even enthusiastic portrait of the future, which makes me think, oh, the power of hope. Oh, the power of hope. And so, you know, I, I've been thinking a lot about about hope this week. And, and I want to talk about hope a little bit because I think it's something that we need to lean into a bit. But before we do that, let's spend some time praying together. So Father, we thank you for, for your presence, your Spirit's presence this morning. We thank you that as we gather together in the name of Jesus, you have promised to be with us. And we thank you that you have promised not just to be with us, but to empower us, to guide us, to lead us, to provoke our hearts, to, to convict us, to challenge us, to, to drag us sometimes, to do all the things that we need in order to become more like your son, Jesus. Father, we thank you for that. 
And we pray that, that as we um, spend some time thinking about the teachings of the Bible and how to live our lives in today's world, I pray that you would, you would guide us, you would sustain us, and you would help us to continue to trust you more and more. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, toward the end of World War II, in 1945, a young German man named Jürgen uh, was captured. He was a German uh, soldier. He was captured, and he became a prisoner of war at that time. And so while he was imprisoned, this, this young German man was regularly beaten by fellow prisoners because at that time there were still many Nazis that were in this camp that believed that Hitler would eventually beat the Allies. And so because he had began to voice his opposition to the German uh, military. He was beaten, and he was treated really poorly, and he had little food. He was infested with lice, and, and he was increasingly carried uh, a, an amount of anxiety and shame and guilt because of the fact that he had actually been a part of the Nazi party. And it's really a, a fascinating um, story when you read about his time in this con- uh, in this. Uh, prison camp as he came to understand what had been happening in the concentration camps because at that time the Allied soldiers began starting putting pictures up in the prison camps to confront the Germans with what had been happening. And so, you know, as he is in this camp, he comes to uh, be overcome with the shame and the grief that, that uh, was accompanied to knowing what had been happening. And so I want you just to listen to what, what, uh, what Jürgen writes here because I think this is a very, very interesting He says this, he says, slowly and inexorably, inexorably, the truth seeped into our consciences, and we saw ourselves through the eyes of the Nazi victims. Was this what we had fought for? Was my generation the last of many to, to have been driven to death so that the concentration camp murderers could go on killing and so that Hitler could live for a few months longer? Depression over the wartime destruction and a captivity with no end in sight was compounded by a feeling of profound shame at having to share and shouldering the disgrace of one's own people. The, that really choked one, and the weight of it has never left me to the present day. And so as I'm reading Moltmann's biography, Jürgen's biography, you can see him wrestling with, with this reality when he was in this prison camp where he, he becomes overcome by hopelessness. He's absolutely driven by, by hopelessness and shame and grief. And so I think in one hand we can say, oh, hope is a powerful, a powerful reality to live in. But wouldn't you agree that hopelessness can also be a powerful reality to live in? If hopelessness is shaping the perception that you have of the world, it's hard to get out of that sometime. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like you can be so hopeless that you just feel like, how do I get out of this? And so it's fascinating. So Jürgen has this, has this encounter with, with the truth of what had been happening. And then uh, a few uh, months later, what happens is a, a chaplain comes and he shares a short message about Jesus and then gives Jürgen a Moltmann a Bible. And Jürgen actually says that many of the prisoners would rather have gotten cigarettes But he settled for the Bible, and he went into his room, and he started reading it. And he started at the Psalms. And as he read the Psalms, he says it became an echo of his own soul. He he read the Psalms and found that many of the Psalms articulated the grief that he had in his own heart. And then he made his way to the Gospel of Mark and read through the Gospel of Mark and came to the Passion, the story, the, the historical event where Jesus goes to the cross and is crucified 
for the sins of his people. And he discovers in the reading of the gospel this crucified God, and he develops this theology of hope where he sees that there is hope out of the midst of hopelessness. And again, I'd say, oh, the power of hope. Hope is a powerful reality to live in. And so throughout the Bible, we see that there is hope for the disoriented world that we live in. I, I think we need to like, be reminded of that continually, though, is that there is hope because God in his infinite love descended to earth on our behalf. I mean, we just celebrated that with Christmas, right? What is Christmas about? It's about the incarnation. It's about that God descended to our world. We could not ascend to heaven, but he descended to our world and broke into the world that we live in. And nothing you have done in the past can keep you from God's act of redemption if you receive the truth of who Jesus is. And, and so this week, as I was praying about what to share today, um, it was funny because um, Melanie, one of the worship folks today, our worship director, had texted me, I think it was Monday, and she's like, what are you preaching on? And I was like, I'm talking about equipping the church because I have 100 Bible verses, and I've been reading this book, and I think that we need to talk about that. And then as I spent time praying and, and, and really thinking about what I wanted to talk about, I really felt like the Holy Spirit led us to spend some time talking about hope. And I stumbled upon these words by the Apostle Paul. And I want us to listen to this, this, this passage of Scripture. Listen to what Paul says here. Just one verse, but it's so powerful. Paul says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's read that one more time. Listen to what Paul says here. He says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then, if you've been filled, if you've been filled, then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Folks, it is time to lean into hope, amen? It's time to lean into hope. It is time to lean, lean into hope. <clears throat> you know, last week, Jason, um, did not Jason do a great job if you were here last week? So good. That was a terrible clap. Jason, I'm sorry. Jason, you did a great job. I liked it. I don't know about everybody else, but I thought it was really good. Did Jason do good or what? It was awesome. Thank you. you golf clappers, geez. Anyway, I thought he did a great job. And he, and he talked about how many people in, in today's world are gripped by, by fear. Fear has gripped their attention. And, and I'd also, though, add in addition to fear, I think there's other feelings that and other emotions that are kind of controlling our society. I think anger is clearly controlling much of our society. I think anxiety is. I think sorrow is. I think uh, shame, grief. I mean, there's a lot of different feelings that different people all over the country and in our community are having. And there's a lot of them that, a lot of these emotions that are, that are I think, keeping us from moving forward. But followers of Jesus, what should be the orientation of our lives? I think it should be it should be hope. I think we should be oriented around the reality of faith, hope, and love. Those are basic Christian things. And so I really want to tell you this morning that if you want to know what the word of the Lord is for us, I think the word is hope. I think the word of the Lord for us is hope. Things are going to get better. Amen? Amen? 
But here's the, here's the beautiful thing. I want to go back to what Rodney Stark says in his book, The Rise of Christianity. This is fascinating to me. What he actually goes on to talk about in his chapter is how the early church was committed to ministering to people in the midst of a global pandemic. Like, the church was, was the first people who organized hospitals. Did you know that? Hospitals came from the church. The church no one had hospitals before that. But the early church said, we have got to extend the love of God's kingdom and as an act of kindness and hospitality, let's put together these places where people can be cared for. And they did that. And what's fascinating, Rodney Starks observes, is that the world saw that all of these Christians who were ministering to people who were sick were also surviving and many people were miraculous healed because the church was praying for people to make it. And, and so historians look at that and like, I don't know what to make with that. I don't know what to say about how that fits into this world that I live in, but there's something to why the church was able to continue growing at that time. And so I think we need the Holy Spirit to give us more hope in our lives, because if we don't have hope, we are going to not make it. But where is our hope found in? Where is our hope found in? And I think we need to remind ourselves that our hope is found in the gospel. Our hope is found in the good news of the kingdom, that though we are far more sinful than we want to admit, God is far more gracious and loving than we could ever imagine. And if we're willing to acknowledge that Jesus died on the cross for us and to turn our lives and to follow after him, we can have eternal hope. And that's why the early church was okay with doing crazy, risky things, because they knew at the end of the day, even if they died, guess where they were going? Yeah, amen? And I'm not saying that we shouldn't be wise or safe or any of those type of things, but I don't want to live my life unhopeful. I want to live my life squarely resting on the hope of who I belong to. And I'm telling you right now, I know who I belong to. I belong to Jesus. And if you know who you belong to, and if you belong to Jesus, then you should have hope. Exactly. It needs to become more of a reality for us, I think. This awareness of hope, again, is why Starks says that the early church grew. And Starks, when he wrote this book, wasn't a Christian, by the way. He's just a historian. He's just making these observations, and he's like, huh, this is interesting. And he finds, he finds um, in, in one of the early church fathers' his writings kind of a, a way of thinking about the world that we live in. And so listen to the way that this bishop named Cyprian talks about, about the way that we should live our lives. Listen to what he says. This is what Cyprian preached in a church in the third century. He says, this trial, and he describes it, I simplified the description because it was so disgusting, <laughs> but he talked about extreme sickness, loss of bodily strength, continual vomiting, eyes on fire, loss of limbs, exceptional weakness. He says, this trial is profitable as a proof of faith. What a grandeur of spirit it is to struggle with all the powers of an unshaken mind against so many onsets of devastation and death. What virtue to stand erect amid the desolation of the human race and not to lie prostrate with those who have no hope in God, but rather to rejoice and to embrace the benefit of the occasion that in thus bravely showing forth our faith and by suffering endured, going forward to Christ by the narrow way that Christ trod, we may receive the reward of his life and faith according to his own judgment. Amen? 
Those are powerful words. Because he's basically saying, cast your eyes upon Jesus. Your hope should be in Jesus. Your faith should be in Jesus. You should continue to trust that Jesus is going to provide everything that you need in order to be faithful to him and his kingdom. Amen? I mean, this is, these are powerful words. And again, I think it's, it's fascinating because what we see is that, is that it made a difference in the world of the, ancient, the ancients. So those truths that gave the early church hope and resilience should give us hope and resilience. That's why I think we can say that we, we want to lean into the kingdom versus leaning into the things that are controlling many people's narratives uh, in the world we live in. And so, so here's basically kind of what, what I was praying about, and I really felt like this nudge from the Lord is to, is to just remind us that we may need to lean into hope a little bit more. Like, I don't know about you, but the last 10 months has been, I safely feel like it's the worst 10 months of my life. Anybody else feel like it's been, it's just a couple of you? Everybody else is like, you're good? Everybody else is good. No? Not good. It's terrible, right? There's a lot of things about the world that's been terrible. And, and I found myself like less and less hopeful. Like, oh my gosh. It's like, could it get any worse? And I've said many times, I'm literally just waiting for the zombies to show up. Like, would you be surprised, honestly? Would you be surprised? I would not. I'd be like, that makes sense. Yeah. And, and so it's been really, really, really rough. But I've really felt like this week for me, as I just was praying and, and, and stumbling through Scripture, is that I think the Lord is inviting us, inviting me and perhaps some of you into being more hopeful. Like, I want to be more hopeful. You know, I think that we can trust that God is at work. I do believe that God is at work always and forever. And so, you know, Really, like finding hope is one thing, but we also need to keep our hope too, right? We have to daily remind ourselves of who Jesus is and what he's done. But this is where I really felt like a prompting um, from the Lord, and it was kind of towards this idea of sharing hope with the world around us too. You know, so during the Roman Empire's numerous pl- plagues, like, you know, there's all these plagues that keep happening over the course of a few hundred years the church not only remained hopeful the entire time, but they shared the hope that they had with the world around them. They constantly kept sharing that hope. They, they continued to lead out of compassion and hospitality and caring for people and, and just being gracious and kind. And as I've been praying and been, been, been kind of like just asking God for direction, I've really been feeling like the Lord's been saying we need to share his hope. We need to share his hope with more people. We need to share his joy. We need to share his love. We need to get back on board with the idea of, of our mission as a church is not only knowing Jesus, but making Jesus known. That is who God has called us to be. And so imagine for one moment, what would it look like if our community, our church, we all began to live our lives leaning into hope, standing on, on, on hope and sharing the hope that we have with those around us. What would that look like? What would it look like if we actually believed that small random acts of kindness, as well as organized acts of kindness, what would it, what would it look like if we started doing things like that? Would it make a difference in people's lives? I think it would. I think it would make a huge difference in people's lives. And so I want to end with this because I think this is another thing from history that, that's fascinating to me, is, you know, the emperor, the emperor during the day, uh, during the fourth century, like, 
is watching how the church is responding to all these different um, pandemics, global pandemics at that time. The known world is under measles and smallpox, and, and I mean, millions of people are dying, and, and the Roman Empire is getting shakier and shakier. In fact, many historians think that the reason why the Roman Empire came to an end is because of these huge global catastrophes that happened. They just kept weakening the Roman Empire. But the Roman Emperor Julian is, is watching throughout these pandemics, and he's seeing that the church is continuing to grow. Like, it doesn't make sense, you know? And so what Julian does is he says, he says okay, here's what we're going to do. I want to get all of my uh, pagan priests, and I want to get all of the Roman officials, and we're going to get together, and we're going to come up with a plan. And this is what he, he says to them when he's trying to develop this plan. He says, why do we not observe that it is their benevolence to strangers, their care for the graves of the dead, and the pretended holiness of their lives that have done most to increase Christianity? I believe that we ought really and truly to practice every one of those virtues, for it is a disgraceful thing that when the followers of Jesus support not only their own poor, but ours as well, all men see that our people lack aid from us. So emperor, the emperor says, hey, we need to be more like the church. Okay? We need to be more like the church, and let's organize all these social, uh, social services to help meet all these people's, uh, people's needs. But this led Julian to, to develop those things, but what's fascinating is that he found that the program failed, and the Roman Empire was unable to do it because those priests and those Roman officials weren't motivated by the right things. Followers of Jesus are motivated by the right things and were empowered by the Holy Spirit to do these things. And so that not only is that we're grounded on in hope and we stand on hope, but we're able to extend hope in the power of the Spirit and we can make a difference in the lives of people around us. And so the same hope that Cyprian preached in the fourth century, the same hope that Jürgen Moltmann discovered in that prisoner of war camp in Germany in 1945 is the same hope that is available for each one of us here this morning, and it's also the same hope that the world around us desperately needs. Amen? Let's stand up together. We're going to take a moment to just to pray. You know, there's, there's a, gosh, there seems like there's so many different prayer requests that, that we all have, you know. This, this morning, um, you know, we took a little bit of time to pray for one of our um, members' parents who has COVID right now, and we're praying for my father right now, and I know many of you have different prayer requests that you have, and there's many concerns that, that we have about our, our society, and it's just so much right now. But let me just tell you why I'm hopeful right now. I'm